Hello and welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm James Carey. I'm Dave Cohen. And uh, today we are going to be talking about uh, a number of uh, viewer listener questions. I said viewer, I don't know why I said viewer. We have no viewers. Um, Unless we're staring at your computer listening to us. Which I'm sure some do. Um, We also are thrilled to have uh, Tom Edge with us again. Thank you for having us, Tom. Thank you for having me. And um, together we're going to talk about uh, a number of uh, writer frustrations and questions that we've had. The first one uh, being from um, our Facebook uh, page. Do have a look at that and get involved in the discussion. But uh, Paul Lamb, I believe, through Facebook has asked us, how do you cope with rejection? Obviously, you've never had it. Yeah. <laughs> I've never had it. Uh, yeah. Dave's, I don't think he ever had no. it at all, I don't think. <laughs> How do you uh, how how do you cope with rejection? It's a good question. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I think one of the things that I found useful starting out was that my wife was uh, an agent, um, and she represented. So she would just come home and reject you. <laughs> comedy. Well, she represented comedy writer and performers. Right. Um, okay. And uh, and you know lots of very good ones as well. Um, and she. So her day, her daily existence was made up of watching, you know, talented clients take projects forward, spend time and money on them, and watching the sheer attrition rate of the number of projects that go from you know, uh, you know, worked up two pages to to ones that actually make the make it to the screen. So I think I was always very aware that uh, it was difficult, and that uh, lots of very talented people with good ideas were not going to be able to, you know, see those ideas realised. And that didn't mean that those people should kind of hang up their, hang up their spurs at all. Mm. But it was just the, the kind of nature of the beast. So mm. I, I feel like I was already primed for failure and also kind of, um, yeah, ready to not take failure too personally, which mm. doesn't mean that it, it isn't uh, horrific um, mm. when it happens. But I think I, I was kind of lucky to have that. Kind of wider view. It is yeah. hard not to take it personally, though, isn't it? Mm. Because the projects that 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 channels and production companies that they want you to pitch are stories that are the story that you have to tell. So they they really pump you up, and rightly mm. so, because writing is hard, and it's hard to write a story if you don't want to tell the story. Well, why the hell should anyone listen to it? So you do have to be personally invested in your idea. It doesn't have to be a life story, but it has to be something that you think this is worth my time. This is worth bothering with, mm. and therefore it is virtually impossible to not take it personally. Yeah. When you are, when someone just says, "No, nah, that's not for us. No, I don't think that'll work. No, I don't think." I think it involves a kind of a kind of ongoing psychosis because you have to. You're right. In order to make the work good and worthwhile, you have mm. to put your guts into it. Mm. Uh, I think anything that is dryly and cynically constructed it usually tells at some point um uh and so yeah you really want to to, to kind of put yourself into it but then once it's off your desk you need to be able to kind of snap that off forget it exists yeah. while other people do the things they need to do with it mm. and throw your heart into the next thing um mm. as if you've never been hurt before <laughs> yeah which is insane <laughs> yeah um, but i think uh you know i think it is if you carry around with you the weight of all of the things that you pitched for that didn't work or that you uh, and you know, and, ho- had high yeah. hopes for and got crushed, then it would be difficult to get out of bed every day. Yeah, and mm. I suspect we know writers who do do that, who do carry around their failure with them all the time, and 
and you just you do wonder. I don't know why you do this anymore. If it, you know, I think you have to work out a way of coping, don't you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I having having spent ten years as a stand-up and having specific times occasionally in those ten years where you know the the, the audience let me know <laughs> in no uncertain terms that they did not want to spend any more time with me, um, and so you know you kind of come from that sheer get off mentality so it's kind of not nothing is ever quite as as bad as, as that and yet and yet it is and it is you know like somebody says as, as you know you said with your wife or what happened you know uh, a, a commissioning editor or someone has said right okay you know you've sweated blood you put your whole life into this and you know it means so much to you uh, i'm rejecting it it's nothing personal uh, you know, and it isn't as as far as they're concerned. It isn't anything personal. You know, they have to make these executive decisions, and you know, there's a tiny, tiny, limited number of things that get done. I mean, I I do, I I like to think that I cope with rejection well, and uh, all the things that you've said, and yes, we go into this knowing there's the chances of it getting made are are you know very very mm. slim and yes it's going well and whatever and it's got this far yes I got my first series mm. and that's great and I didn't get the second series but yeah okay that's fine and then you know nothing you know, that, that that's great and then sort of suddenly three weeks later that sort of sudden moment of like what mm. how could they do that yeah. railing anger against yeah. the world and just complete sort of misery and depression for about sort of three hours yeah. That's how I cope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for the benefit of the listener, he's now rocking backwards and forwards gently. Um, but, uh, well, actually, I think um, this relates to possibly another question. I think, as you were saying, that you sort of forget about it and sort of move on and then you sort of come back. I think forgetting about it and moving on is a good thing to do before you get an acceptance or a rejection at all. Um, we had another question hmm. from, uh, yes, from Jake who said, yeah. when do you know when to move on? Which is a good question, but one... But I would say starting something else mm. is probably a very good way. And then getting excited about that. So by the time that the rejection comes through the other thing, and let's be honest, rejection is almost certain mm. because most things are not commissioned. Yeah. As you get excited about something else and then when something else is not put up, it's still hard, but you've already invested maybe into something else. I, mean, I don't know. I, I know writers like to do things differently, but I prefer to work on three or four things at the same time um, and toggle between them in the course of a week and uh, you know the, uh, and maybe part of it is you know not necessarily consciously but it's about sort of an awareness that some of these will wither and die and some of these will make progress and mm. uh, it's nice to be working on something always where you know you feel like it has a, a shot at having a life. Is um, it also a slightly a displacement activity of like, oh, I'm getting really stuck with this one. Oh, what can I do? Uh, oh, sorry, I'll just go and work on this other one. Yeah, yeah. I think there's some truth to that. And I think, uh, and sometimes problems magically are not themselves for mm-hmm. 24 hours spent working on another project. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I also, while we're on the, on the subject of failure, I think there are sort of different kinds of failure, aren't there? I mean, there is, there's the kind of, the sincere an apo- yeah, apologetic failure of uh, a broadcaster saying, well, the, we, this is great, but it's not right for the slate we've got coming up, or we've got three office-based comedies that are nearly greenlit and there's just not room for another, in which case it's really not your fault and there's not a lot to learn other than, you know, you know maybe your timing sucked and you know, maybe the script might have a life at another point. 
but I think there, there is a different grade of failure, which is the kind of failure that comes with notes attached. Um, and there, I think it can be useful uh, to, to try and push back against the instinct to go, well, you're a dick. Um, <laughs> uh, and actually to, once the kind of, uh, the, the rage and the pain has subsided, to kind of interrogate what was being said. And I remember one of the uh, ultimately most useful notes I got given right at the beginning of my career came about in a really bruising way. I was pitching ideas um, to a producer at the BBC and I kind of had far too long a list of ideas and they, they, the ideas were getting kind of thinner and thinner as I went down. <laughs> Monkey tennis. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, uh, but by the time I hit sort of the fifth thing, it was really just saying this is a place in which could funny things might happen. Uh, kind of pitching just kind of precincts. And uh, the producer said, like, I'm going to stop you there because you're making me want to jump out of the window. Um, uh, it's just a difficult thing to hear as, uh, as an emerging writer. But actually he went on to say uh, the more useful thing, which is, look, it's my job to sit in an office and think what precincts are there, what ideas can I come up with that I could you know, fork out to mm. a writer and so on. And so it's just kind of dispiriting to hear you say to me, this potentially sounds like a television program. Whereas if you come in and say, I have no idea if this is a TV show, but I spent the weekend researching sort of alpine rock climbing mm. and I love it. And mm. this is why it's interesting. If you're passionate yeah. about something, then he felt like, well, I know how to help build a show. That's what I do. And if you say, I love this world and it's fascinating and let me tell you about it, then that's much more of a kind of head start as far as he's concerned about feeling optimistic about the yeah. course of the next hour yeah. than uh, being pitched at dry premise. And actually I kind of walked away from that uh, once I'd gotten over him uh, his kind of <laughs> out of the window like thinking actually there's a kernel of good advice in there. Yeah. That if you're pitching things that smell like television because you think someone might say, that sounds sufficiently like television for me to hand you a check, um, then, you know, that's, that's not really ideal. Whereas, mm. you know, the challenge of taking something you're, you find personally fascinating and that is a world you'd love to explore, but you just don't know what the show is yet, is, is probably the, the richer uh, mm. prospect in the longer term. Mm. So there's a kind of a grinding failure at a yeah. moment of But those personal, early meetings, uh, those early bits of advice, they really do stay with you for a yeah, long yeah. time, don't they? <laughs> Definitely. I had a, um, in my very early stand-up days, and we were all, none of us knew what we were doing, really. Nobody on the circuit back in the 80s was trained in drama or anything. We were just a bunch of people off the street who were... Um, filling the spaces that had been left by the young ones who'd gone off to be hugely successful. So we, there, there were these gigs going around and people needed to fill them. So we were very lucky that that, that time. And I must have done about 30 or 40 gigs and I was doing fine. And uh, that somebody who was my absolute hero turned up at uh, a gig I was doing, uh, a little bit worse for drink. And uh, we went out for a drink afterwards and dared to say to him so well what did you think of my what my show slammed his drink down it stank god you were, what were you doing this you were doing that on the stage you were walking up and down you weren't looking at the audience you were doing this you were prefacing your jokes there was too much too many words in here and this was like this is, <laughs> it's my hero basically pissed having yeah. a real go at me and uh 
having uh, 24 hours to process the sort of pain of that and then actually sort of thinking separating out each thing that he'd said and the next gig I did I didn't pace around I did I did look at the audience I went through my script and cut out the excess words and, and god I suddenly became a much better comedian yeah. but I would rather have not found out that way really yeah you don't have to have that advice pummeled into you <laughs> yeah it could yeah. just be uh, handed yeah a delicate yeah. bar yeah. around yeah. it so like, that, i mean so yeah i think taking trying to find those positives in rejection yeah. once you've sort of really uh, picked yourself up mm. i think is well worth doing yeah just to go back to the, the moving on aspect of it though as well um is and this is something that i uh, was i talked a lot to uh, pete sinclair about pete's a great comedy writer writes with jack d he's got a new uh, sitcom coming out soon on itv um pete writes loads and loads of sketches and i i was looking for advice for new writers for sketches and pete said uh keep thinking about the idea and he said um if the idea doesn't come if, if it's still not coming after about half an hour just ditch it and, and come up with another idea and the point is that uh, it's the same rule applies, I think, with sitcom. You can get so far with a sitcom idea, and if it's not working, then you, you know, you're not necessarily chucking it away forever. You're just putting it over to one side, and it's not working at that moment. So get, come back to it, maybe, or, or you'll be working on another thing, and suddenly in your head you go, ah, I know what was wrong with that thing mm. that I put to one side six months ago. Let me go and have another look at it, and you may find a way. So, so in terms of individual projects, moving on is a, it, it, sometimes it is if you really are banging your head against the wall trying to work out where to go next, then you know save your headaches. And... I heard a um, similar story about um, Elton John. Apparently, he spends ten minutes trying to write a song. If it doesn't start coming after ten minutes, he stops. Okay. Fucks off to buy more flowers. Yes, exactly. More flowers, yeah. more cocaine. Yeah, you can um, do that. You can do that. But I think the other thing that I want to just also add a little caveat to is how sometimes, uh, so whenever I get a show turned down, I don't want to know the reason. If it's a no, it's a no. And usually the reason is, the actual reason is, they didn't like it. They didn't like it. But they can't say that. That's the only thing they can't say. And so if they say, oh, they felt it was a bit this, or they didn't feel it was sufficiently that, or they didn't feel it was blah, blah, blah. My instinct, the instinct is to, to sort of say, well, that's nonsense. That's not mm. true. It is that. It is that. And just li- living with the fact that they have to think of something to say and therefore the only thing that they, therefore they, the only thing they can't say is the only thing they actually, that is useful, yeah. which is they didn't like it, in which case just move on. Yeah. And therefore the only, th- therefore the only extra bit of advice I would give though is to make sure though that the show that you get rejected is the show that you wanted to do. Because the most infuriating mm. rejection is the rejection where your 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 show was sort of tampered with and fiddled and became something else, and that was rejected, and you think, oh, I really didn't even offer the show that I wanted to do. I think that's very good advice, and actually, that it's that feels like it's not a million miles away from what I was told in that grueling meeting, which is right. ultimately like, you know, start with what do I really want to do? What 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 am I excited? by and yeah. passionate about and hold on to that um, because you're exactly right you know killing six months mm. of your life on handing in something that 
you, not even you really want to see on yeah. screen uh, ultimately after it's been yeah. kind of beaten to death yeah. it's kind of a, it's a waste of your time and uh, and yeah and so therefore they want a writer to come in with their unique perspective or a voice or mm-hmm. an idea or a passion I mean it feeds into the, this book that you're writing Dave um, about write what you know or not write what you know write what you don't know write what you don't know mm-hmm. but a lot of it is we, we sort of try not to necessarily say write what you know but write what you're passionate about or are interested in mm-hmm. I mean my mm. the, the sitcom I had on TV was about bomb disposal in Afghanistan I didn't know anything about that uh, before I started but I thought that's a really interesting area and I want to find out about it and the more I found out about it and the more I knew the more interesting and distinctive it became mm. so I think it's write what you're passionate about rather than write what you think might be commissioned mm. or write a a precinct where you think some funny people could be because even a producer could come up with one of those <laughs> what's uh interests me because uh, to, to to ask ask you too i suppose really as as uh two people who have much more recent experience of getting sitcoms on tv than i have uh sadly um <laughs> i'm not sadly, talking okay for, for you obviously <laughs> but i'm interested to know at what point i mean at how you know, when you, you uh, uh, it's a long time since I've been down that route of this commissioner saying uh, that yes to that and yes and yes and yes and 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 finally getting the thing on. That how uh, how you know when you think you're being told to do something that's when how you know this is my thing. You can't change that. Or actually, well, what about if that's the way to get this on? Is to actually change it and maybe make it this. How, how much? How much did you have to change to get to? Yes, you don't. You don't want to dig in money. and just say no. My 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 initial idea is unalloyed genius, and anyone who can't get on board with it um, is a moron. So you don't want that. But equally, you don't want to give way on everything. Yeah, I think it sort of it underscores the importance of working with people who you uh, are kind of uh, are a good fit with mm. as well. Especially if you're working with development execs. Um, I think working with people who've got great taste and who uh, want to help you make the best of your vision yeah. uh, for a thing is a great head start. I know I've met plenty of producers who are very, very competent and get you know work up um, on screen, and I just they just have a very different sense of humour to mm. me, and you can just sort of see that that way would lie. Endless pain as they're mm. sort of pitching. Well, should the show be this? Could it be that? Because their instincts um, are, are going to be pulling in a completely yeah. different direction. Um, whereas, you know, if you find people who and companies mm. um, who are, are going to be kind of really supportive partners, then that I think is enormously helpful. Um, especially when you yeah. go on to be, to deal with kind of commissioners and, and broadcasters at that level. Mm. And the other thing is, I mean, the brutal truth of it is that commissioners. Um, Sorry. <laughs> For the benefit of the listener, we're in Tom's house, and he has children. So, um, uh, yeah, Commis- you know, commissioners will put a lot of faith in very good producers, those who've got a long track record. So, if you're if you're working with a producer who has you know has a shelf full of BAFTAs for their excellent comedies, mm. then it's taking a lot of weight off the commissioner's mind. And if mm. that producer is able to say this is going to be a great mm. show, um, then that really helps. Mm. And I think so much of this ends up being contingent on what your experience is um, as a writer. Graham Linehan bowls along and says, I, I think I might like to sort of set 
a show inside a soup can and it's just going to be me, then someone is still going to hear that out because, uh, you know, the track record kind of requires that and it will probably be wonderful and the commissioner will be sitting there thinking, is there a yeah. way that this isn't wonderful? Yeah. Uh, rather than a very new writer, yeah. especially a new writer allied with a company that doesn't have much of a track record, they will be treating that conversation with a lot of suspicion, yeah. inevitably, because they will be looking for the ways in which this is thin or may run into trouble as a production and and that kind of trouble may you know not look so great on their CV. So I think you have to be... Uh, you, have to, you just have to be kind of mindful of those Yeah, those I think, and it's it's hard to hear that advice if you don't have any contacts at all for us to say you have to be picky about who you work with because a lot of people would say, well, the chance would be a fine thing. But it really is important that you find someone who wants to see mm. the best version of your work rather than they're trying to secure a commission for mm. their company. And those things could be aligned, should be aligned, can be aligned, but they're not necessarily mm. aligned. Mm. And so when somebody says, you know, oh, we think this would be a great vehicle for X talent, and you're thinking, wow, you really don't see the show the same way that I do. You need to have that discussion then. Mm. And you have to say, oh, that's interesting, because I don't see the show that way at all. Um, and then if they're sort of saying, well, they're never going to commission it with X, Y, or Z, or the show as it is is never going to be commissioned, an appropriate response to that can be, oh, oh, okay, well, maybe it's not going to happen then. Yeah. Um, you need to be prepared to walk away, I think, because it's so hard to get it on. And what you don't want to do is end up, as I've said on a blog post, dying in somebody else's war. Mm. Um, is it, you know, you've, you've ended up going into battle trying to get your show away and uh, you've sure. paid the price mm. and thinking, wow, I, I didn't even want to do this. Mm. Um, so I think you know in your heart but sometimes you don't speak up because you think you, you don't know what you're talking about. Producers and the industry generally is very good at making writers feel like they've won a competition if they get to write a show for the TV. Um, I think there's quite a lot, you know, writers, we are our own worst enemies because we do behave like children at times and talk like it too. But I think you need to know what your idea is and you'll only be able to defend your idea if you're passionate about it mm. rather than pitching yeah. ideas where funny things could happen. I think that's a really good example. And I, I, I hear new writers and I read scripts of like, oh, wouldn't it be great if there was a sitcom set in this place? And you think, yeah, maybe. Mm. It hasn't been done. Well done for finding it. Uh, I don't know why you guys decided to write it because this, this isn't the sitcom that's set in that place. You know, this mm. is just funny people talking or... Not mm. actually funny people yeah. talking, and that's um, just just uh, the kind of the other side of that. I mean, some something that we were wanting to talk about anyway. Um, obviously, we're talking at the level of like shows being commissioned and things, but that actually the same rules apply. If we go back to the sort of when you're starting out, and in fact, one of the things that we wanted to talk about was uh, this idea of um, writing on spec, which means writing for free, um, and. Um, that's uh, an area that's um, certainly it's become quite a big issue in recent times because more and more writers, even writers who are professional writers who've had lots of credits, are being asked to write for free. And um, I mean, certainly, I, I don't know if if that situation has happened much for you at all, Tom, in the recent times or beforehand. Um, more kind of, uh, uh, I, I think when start, you were starting out. Starting maybe. out, uh, yeah, and I think. Um, it's interesting, like, I I did do 
some development work in in film um and i think it's a really it's a really freighted question because there was one project in particular where i sort of pitched very hard to adapt a, a book uh, but there's a very good reason why new writers aren't offered harry potter to adapt uh, actually you know the stories that are immediately well constructed commercially appealing uh, mm. lots of cinematic potential from mm. character other ones that go when they're in galleys mm. from publishers for many hundreds of thousands of pounds. Um, so actually the stories that younger writers are offered to adapt are often the complicated, finickety, can't necessarily see it as a film kind of books. Um, so it's one of the kind of odd ironies of, of cutting a path as a, as a film screenwriter that the first few projects you may be offered are a lot harder yeah. <laughs> than the yeah. projects you'll be offered five, six years down the line if your career is going well. Um, and so, you know, that, that experience in particular was really challenging. This, it, was a, it was a very literary book, sort of three disconnected plots um, that were all sort of quite ambiguous and that, that ended in unusual places. Um, and it was a real challenge. And I, but the, the, the useful thing was, um, obviously, if if we could persuade one of the major financiers to put up the money to write a draft, then I would be paid. But there was a big chunk of work to figure out how to adapt the book just so you can pin together a treatment mm. to take out um, as part of the proposition. But I did learn a huge amount um, doing it. Uh, and the other thing was that he had a very good director attached. And at the time, I didn't have a huge amount of things going. It meant that I could legitimately sit in a meeting and say, oh, I'm adapting this book for this director and the, the, the director had made eight or nine feature films yeah. and it, I think what that offered because it's an industry as you know where where people are often uncertain about mm. whether they're making the right decision it offered like a kind of surety that oh well if that director's working with this director yeah. with this writer this writer can't be the worst writer yeah. in the world yeah. uh, which when you're a new writer starting out even if you've got a very good spec script, there's that latent anxiety from people that maybe this is the one story that they're good at telling. Maybe it took them seven years and a thousand rewrites to get it to this kind of point. Can they do it again? Can they do it for my material? Um, and so just, you know, even though I, I worked, uh, you know, long and hard, unpaid uh, for that, the that job ended up, you know, uh, by, by attachment, opening up a ton of, paid assignments for, yeah. the, for the next thing. Um, and so I think you, you know, it's a, it can be very difficult mm. when you're starting out, but I do think to an extent you have to kind of bear in mind the, the kind of deeper question of what is the value of this project yeah. to me in terms of my career at this yeah. point. And sometimes that's about relationships, sometimes that's about the things you'll learn, and sometimes that's about simply being able to demonstrate I'm in the industry and yeah. I'm working. It's a credibility. Um, you, and you couldn't yeah. have bought that credibility yeah. With your own money, as it were. So you were buying it with your time. Yeah. Um, um, now, that's not to say that there isn't, you know, a lot of abuse of that and, mm. and, and abuse of goodwill. Um, but I do think that it's an important equation to, yeah. to have in your head that there are, there are different forms of value yeah. beyond sometimes, you know, taking a few hundred pounds for the rights uh, mm. to option your work, which which may ultimately, uh, you know, be less valuable than working with a really great producer. Yeah. Um, who can help you turn that idea into something yeah. that's really wonderful. And it's, that chimes a little bit with um, our friend uh, Danny Stack, mm. who has written um, uh, a piece about 
uh, writing for free and asking good questions like, do you like the project? Do you like the producer? What What is the deal or what is it going to be further down the line? And, and do you trust this person? And I think... Um, those are all really good questions to bear in mind. So it would be easy for us to say, well, you should never work for free. Mm. Because from a, from a sitcom point of view, I would say if you have no track record, you have to write a spec script, which is a, um, somebody asked on the Facebook page, well, what is a spec script, if this isn't a really stupid question? <laughs> no, it's not. Thank mm. you for asking it. Um, it is a script that is written speculatively mm-hmm. that, uh, that you have not been paid to do, that you think this would be a great show. And I have demonstrated not only that it would be a great idea, but that I am the one who is able to write it and I have the voice which will make this interesting. So I would say that you do have to do some of that at the start because I think sometimes people think having an idea for a show means that they can take it to a producer mm. and it's such a great idea that the producer will immediately want to give them money to write the script and they don't want anyone to steal their idea. Sitcom is not like that, and I'm sure most others aren't. Yeah. You, you have to demonstrate that you can write, and the only way you can do that is to write your idea. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And, I, and you're right, people are naive about the potential power of an idea, whereas it's almost always about your ability to mm. execute that idea. And certainly when you look at adaptation as well, um, you know, if a producer buys a book and thinks, which writer am I going to hire mm. to adapt this, they... They need to know that you know that of all of the writers mm. out there uh, with experience of adaptation as mm. well, it's that writer's sensibility that is going to fit with the material, and, and you don't get to do that unless mm. you can demonstrate uh, mm. on the page um, mm. that you're capable of that. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, you do have to. There is inevitably going to be some writing for free, but yeah. I mean, I think you have to look at it like anything else. Yeah. Like you know, if you want to be a professional BMX rider. No one's going to pay you to, you know, learn to take the stabilizers off your bike and <laughs> pedal around the neighborhood yeah. as a yeah. kid. It's it's like it's like yeah. anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also think it it's slightly remarkable the number of people who think I'm going to write a script and set about, you know, perhaps finding mm-hmm. final draft or a templating program, but actually haven't read very many scripts themselves. It's um. It's quite, it's quite an obscure thing. Um, whereas, you know, the, the internet is littered with, with scripts, with pilot scripts and transcripts. And if you're serious about wanting to write half-hour comedies and you haven't read a hundred or so different mm. half-hour comedy scripts, then you're going to struggle, struggle from the off. But mm. all of that is about trying to, you know, cobble together an education mm. for yourself yeah, yeah. And, uh, and to provide the kind of yeah. materials that, you know, mm. take yeah. you to that point. Of being payable. Mm, uh, yeah. Being right. payable, that's a really yeah. good way of... Are you payable? So you do need to demonstrate uh, ability and, um, and voice. It's but a I guess that yeah. the, the, but we've, we, we are all probably aware of situations where you sort of realise my ability is not necessarily a thing in question here. I just think I'm being strung along. Mm. Um, I think people are trying... And I'm sure... And we all get this... And I'm sure you are, at your level, um, invited to pitch for work and to some extent expected to do a certain amount of work in order to get the bigger prize and there are bits where you occasionally are thinking oh hang on do you want me to do this or not yeah i think i think it sort of it sometimes varies uh, on on very big films sometimes yeah you are aware that there that it's a it's a book or a project that 
is going out to uh, you know four or five people and that people will be giving their takes mm. uh, to the producer um but that's relative you know that that's usually at the higher end and, mm. and I, I you know if it was a tv production company and uh, or a, or a, or a smaller project mm. in film um now i you know i'm definitely aware that it happens but you know i i wouldn't i wouldn't be all that pleased about mm. uh uh, about sort of undergoing that mm-hmm. um, and might be a bit wary of that. That's not to say that I didn't used to have to do that a lot more. Mm-hmm. And certainly, um, uh, you know, in TV where, uh, in film rather, where it's assignment work, mm-hmm. um, that kind of giving your take uh, mm-hmm. was uh, was an essential part of the process. I mean, I guess there, though, the producers have a sense of what they want it to be mm-hmm. and they want to be quite confident that the writer's uh, take on what the project might be mm. is going to marry with theirs um, so they they have to be very confident in the writer or the writer has mm. to be uh, has to wield an enormous mm. amount of power for the writer simply to say send me the book and a check yeah. and I'll send you a script back mm. uh, don't, uh, don't yeah. ask any questions but there is a balance isn't yeah. there yeah. And, um, I, th- I think that's the, 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 the issue here and it's a you know it, it all depends what where you are at what level you are in the uh, industry you know if you're in the situation where you don't yet have any credits then I- inevitably your uh, your your economic power is severely limited if you have had some credits and this is where i guess this is where the sort of uh it starts to be a little bit um difficult for new writers you've had a few credits you've had a few sketches on radio a few jokes on and you've you've got a little bit of a track record um and anyone who speaks to you is not expecting to pay you and i think that's just that that's the sort of the the economic climate as it is at the moment but I, i think you if you honestly answer those questions that uh james mentioned there from uh, danny stack and if mm. you if, you know you really have to feel actually quite quite good about it if it's not your project if it's your project your project will always be a labor of love mm. uh there'll be a lot of time yeah. that you will spend on your projects yeah. and that's you know that's going to be stuff that you always will be doing for and free for quite yeah. a long time but be aware that if it's your project it's your project and if they mm. haven't paid you anything for it they don't own it and I think you need to remember they will do everything they can to convince you that you work for them. But if it's your idea, then they are lucky to have you if it's any if it's any good. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why it isn't always the best idea to take a tiny amount of money so that it's sort of theirs for a while. Um, a few hundred quid may seem like a lot of, to some people at various points. But actually, if it ties you to, to these people who actually don't seem to get it, don't understand it, you might be better off not mm. taking the money. Mm. Um, although I did that recently on a particular project and was slightly cross that the lack of clarity over me not being paid led to a series of unfortunate events which made me absolutely furious. Mm. Um, but um, I can tell you about that when we're stopped recording. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's a couple of other things that just occurred to mind. One is um, two, th- or two things. One is if you're a producer listening to this podcast, and I know some producers do, tell you what, you should pay writers. You should actually pay them. You are on a salary. So maybe you think about making it your problem to make sure the writer gets paid. Um, It's no coincidence to me that my most popular blog post, one of them, is talking about a time when I realised that I was in a meeting with about seven other people. I was the only one coming up with ideas. I was the only reason that meeting was happening. And I was the only person in the room who was not being paid. Um, So consider that. And secondly is the note to writers, really. 
have you asked for money? Um, <laughs> because I think we are rather hoping that, we, I think we are possibly thinking that if we ask for money, suddenly mm. they're going to want to stop working with us. And that may be true, in which case, mm. asking for money and they walk off, uh, they've probably done you a favour. Mm. So I think we're quite bad at asking for money, um, especially if we're British, um, yeah. especially if we can just about get by without the money. Um, so I, th I think we need to be probably helping ourselves a bit more yeah. um, at every level, actually, and increase expectations of payment. Mm. Um, but I think a lot of our problems come from the fact that we don't ask for it, we don't talk about it, we're not quite clear enough, early enough. And this is where agents are great because yeah. they get clarity. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I, I, I was sort of concur with, with some of that. I think it's about both sides being mm. really clear about what they're bringing to the table. So yes. if as a writer and you're a new writer or you're bringing an original idea to the table, you are doing that. But then I think you also have to be clear about how much more work you are prepared to do yeah. on it um, and uh, if you're prepared to be sort of collaborative. And on the other side, even outside of the financial and contractual situation, I think it's useful to get clarity will you work with me on this? What can I expect from you in terms mm. of a commitment from you? Because you don't want, if you've put a lot of time and effort into crafting something, you don't want it sort of, uh, you know, gobbled up by a company that can fling it along with nine other three-page pictures uh, at, at the broadcasters sequentially, you know, not with a great deal of care and attention mm. to see which, if any of them, sticks. Um, whereas someone who can really offer you mm. time and attention and work with you to really hone the proposition, mm. interrogate the choices you've made, you may end up learning mm. an awful amount mm. uh, just by doing that. And also, ultimately, your project probably has a better chance of going mm. if it's had that level of uh, sort of questioning done. Mm. So I think it's it, it all comes down to the same thing, doesn't mm. it, about being both parties being really clear what mm. their expectations mm. are of each other um, mm. as you move forward. Mm. Um, but, Sorry, I was going to say that that comes back as well to what you were saying earlier, James, about when a commissioner says, when a commissioner doesn't say, "I just don't like it." That actually, what what you need to get, you need to be working with the producer. Your producer need you need your producer to really like your show mm. because they're the ones that they're, they're the ones who are going to be pitching it, yeah. and so they really have to like the show. So that's going right back to that early stage. Mm. If if uh, and it's as much the producer, if you think of it, that the producer is pitching to you. You has that producer sold their love of what you do to you enough uh, to make you think, oh, right, this person's going to go out there and, you know, like you say, they're, mm. they're not just going to fling this idea in with a bunch of others. Yeah. They're really going to think that they, they've demonstrated to me that they like it. Well, okay. Yeah. I'll do X amount of work. Oh, yeah. And I have, I have not worked with some producers some of whom have offered me some money because I am sure that when the meeting comes, they will throw my show under a bus to mm. get something else away. Mm. Um, and therefore, you do need to work with the right producer mm. who will basically defend your idea, scream, this idea has to be done or else what's the point and flip up the table and cause a scene. <laughs> um, because, you know, if, if they don't, then it's so competitive. You do really need someone who's going to give your idea the best chance bearing in mind that failure is almost certain. I think... <laughs> and on a cheery note. Yes. Um, and I do think while, while we're on, on, you know, on this subject, there is a kind of... There's a kind of subject that wraps around it, which is how do producers and production companies support mm. new writers uh, coming up? And 
And yes, absolutely, kind of paying them through early development mm. is, is one way. But I, I do kind of think it's, it's also quite a kind of limited way because the skills to put together a show uh, and a good kind of pitchable mm. um, you know, show bible are quite distinctive. Um, and a lot of writers aren't necessarily as good at that as mm. they are delivering on the nuts and bolts mm. of uh, their episodic stuff. But I think it, you get this odd irony that once writers have like one or two spec scripts, they may end up with you know, a dozen two-page ideas mm. uh, and they're not writing. Um, they're not writing pages anymore. And, and ultimately what's going to make those writers better writers mm. is experience of... of writing epi- you know, episodic mm. TV and having to break story and mm. work from character and doing all of that stuff. And I, I think there's a, uh, in terms of your, uh, your direct appeal mm. to producers, I think um, the, the, best, you know, the best way to support younger writers is, would be to find a way to, um, if not do the full-scale American writing room model, which is very expensive, but find a way to, for younger writers to be in the room as episodes are mm. broken, put together, find a way mm. to compensate them for their contributions yeah. during that time, even if it's not writing full episodes. Yeah. Um, and I think you know, there's a lot that could be done that would really help yeah. um, younger writers yeah. uh, advance their careers. And then you know, when it comes to their next one-pager yeah. on a desk, they're also showing up with yeah. experience of, the nuts and bolts of how to make a show yeah, and yeah. I mean as you well know um, it's once you've written a pilot that's all well and good once you're looking at writing episode 18 yeah. and so on it's a it's a very different yeah. deal and um, actually gaining experience in that yeah. in being able to create shows that can go a distance yeah. um, is invaluable and is really kind of yeah. is really hard to come by other than this very perverse mm. model of zero to 60, yeah. which we have in this country mm-hmm. of like, you're, you're, you're just writing two pages and then suddenly you're, mm. you're trying to write six episodes of a show. Right? Mm. I think that's a good point. And I, uh, the other, to, to add to that, I think one thing that especially larger production companies can do, but seem often unwilling to do is it, it seems always that the least qualified person in, in a production company, apart from the runner is the development producer. As if, that you know, the, the the last person in, the the newest, the youngest sort of wannabe producer is a development producer. Was well, actually that's possibly the hardest job, uh, because they end up making the mistakes themselves that more experienced producers uh, haven't made. And actually, it would it would be a, I would probably work for longer for less money for a producer that I really respected with a bit of a track record than a uh, you know a twenty three year old who I'm just thinking, mm. I think I know quite a lot more about this than you. <laughs> um, but that happens, still happens quite a lot. Um, and sometimes I'm thinking, wow, you're, you're, you're spending three salaries on, on development producers here. Why don't you not pay one of those development producers and commission six scripts instead? I suddenly and, had a horrible flashback. And maybe back. that would get you further. Four years of working on The Big Breakfast on Channel 4 came flashing back to me. <laughs> about 23-year-old producers, producers yeah, uh, yeah. telling you... But I just think it's, it's just a way of how they deploy their resources. And I think mm-hmm. writers want to feel like they're progressing and actually getting some of the experienced producers developing yeah. as well. Obviously, it can't be necessarily a full-time <laughs> thing, but a bit of that feeling, I think, would go quite a long way. I think it, I mean, it probably comes down to money, doesn't it? The, the experienced executive producers are trusted with the budgets mm. of the big shows that, or that are going and partly because of what you're talking about because paying or not paying mm. you know, new writers uh, is a 
low cost endeavor it's entrusted mm. to the, the kind of lower cost yeah. uh, less experienced members of staff I agree it's, it doesn't necessarily make sense but mm. I think that's why uh, you know I, and all of this is couched in it's very I appreciate it. it's very difficult when you're starting out mm. and you feel like you have a limited set of options mm. to start being picky about yeah. how you uh, develop your work but I do think that IMDB is sitting there as an open resource for people and I think if you find companies that are the right mm. shape and size for you who make work that you really like mm. um, then you know there there is merit in approaching those companies and being specific mm. and saying not just I like your show but you've done this and this and this mm. and this is the kind of work I make and I think mm. it fits in here mm. can I have a meeting with these two people in particular and you know do your research mm. figure out who is younger and up and coming and yeah. may may have a little bit more time in the mm. company to look at new work and then you know and then cross your fingers mm. rather than um you know sending spec mm. scripts uh, to every company in town hoping that mm. one uh, fishes it out people are remarkably open to flattery and actually being told, <laughs> you know, you are the person I want to yeah. develop this yeah. with yeah, for yeah. the following specific mm. reasons yeah. is, is a much more yeah. compelling yeah. proposition. I think you're more likely to at least yeah. agree to read that person's work than, yeah, yeah. Uh, than you know, a pile of scripts yeah. sent across even by an agent yeah. who doesn't have a particularly good reputation for a client list. That's another bit. I mean, again, one of my most popular blog posts is who should I send my script to? Mm. And my advice is always send it to people who make the kind of comedy that you like. Mm. Yeah. Tell and Write to them by name. Tell them why you liked it. Mention a little bit of it, the bit that you really liked. Mm. Don't come across as a nutter or a stalker and say, if you like that, you might like this. Yeah. And that's... That's a start. Um, yeah, and a, and a list where you can fit in. There's no yeah. point in saying, like, I think Tom Stoppard is a prom- promising playwright. Uh, <laughs> why, why don't you uh, take me on as well? Uh, you know, yeah. Some agents have closed lists, but if you find someone with enough clients with clout that yeah. you think this is an agent who's going to be listened to and yeah, is yeah. able to cut good deals, but they are yeah. evidently taking on kind of newer prospects, yeah. then that's, that's probably the, yeah. the sweet spot. Yeah. Anyway, talking of writing for free, thank you so much for being on this podcast. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's been great to have you on, uh, Tom, and I hope uh, to our listeners like Paul and Jake, this has been a useful uh, intervention, if necessary, we can call it that. Um, but uh, I think it's time to draw it to a close. Do look at our Facebook page, look up Sitcom Geeks on Facebook. Yeah. On Twitter, I am Sitcom Geek. I'm Cohen Dave, and send us emails as well, sitcomgeeks at gmail.com. And I've just had Outlook installed on my Mac with the oh. Sitcom Geeks email coming into it, so I will actually look at the emails now. <laughs> so that's quite a bold claim, but it, <laughs> rather than check them every three weeks. And we will um, promise to read some more of your uh, first, ten pages. first ten pages as well, which we've got a little bit behind with. And, uh, but we'll catch up on those yeah. soon. Anyway, Don't send any me- more at this point. In the, yes, right. in the meantime, uh, thank you very much for having us, Tom, in your home. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for listening. And until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye.